What a sweet spirit has prevailed here today. This lectureship's already been marvelous, and throughout yesterday evening and today, just great lessons, super fellowship, and getting into the Word, wonderful praise of God. On loan, those two words say volumes about our family. On loan. One day, God is going to ask, how have you done with the precious people I have entrusted to you as family members? How have you treated them? Have you helped them to get home? Home to God. You see, our family is ours for a while, so each and every one can be God's forever. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2, if a man would be a steward, he must first be faithful. We need to be stewards because to whom much is given, much is required. Luke 12 and verse 48. A number of years ago, I was in a Christian home and I saw a plaque over uh, the kitchen area as we were sitting down to a meal and it said, Home, where all live for and love each other and all together live for and love the Lord. I thought, how marvelous. Wouldn't it be great if every marriage and if every family really bought into that type of thinking? Family, where all live for and love one another and all together live for and love the Lord. What kind of legacy are you leaving? What kind of legacy am I leaving? As a father, a grandfather, a husband, a brother to many, many wonderful souls, I want to do everything I possibly can by God's strength and by God's grace to help people get home, but especially those that I am closest to in my own family. Let's consider some Old Testament passages and what they say about the home. Psalm 127, verse 1, Except the Lord builds the house, they do labor in vain that build it. So many marriages and so many families are built on the material and they've forgotten, they've lost sight of the fact that marriages and families need to really be built on God and a relationship with Him. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 19-21. Here's a second Old Testament passage to think about. Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4. By wisdom a house is built... By understanding it is established. 
By knowledge its rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. In one sense, it really is who we have in our house that makes our house a home. But it's not wrong to say it's what we have in our house that makes it a home. Qualities like good communication, forgiveness, kindness, wisdom, understanding, knowledge. These are things that help make a house a home. Consider Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 15. Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 15. And notice what is said in this passage that really is so applicable even for our time. Yes, an Old Testament passage, but it rings so true to the teaching of the new. We need to hear the Lord constantly. Hear, O Israel. The church is the Israel of God, Galatians 6.16. Love the Lord fervently with your all, the passage goes on to say. Teach your children diligently. Remember the Lord perpetually. Remember that the Lord is the one who has blessed you and brought you so far. Should not marriages and families do that today too? Obey the Lord faithfully. You see, what is really needed is a God-centered marriage and family. I realize that not every person has the type of family that they would love to have. And even the very best of marriages and the very best of families can be improved. But we need to positively encourage one another to have more God-centered marriages and homes. That will bless the church. That will bless our communities. That will bless our nation and our world. In 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 15 through 18, a marvelous question is asked. By Isaiah to good King Hezekiah, a question that still rings true and ought to be asked today. Emissaries had come from Babylon, and Hezekiah had shown them a great deal of God's blessings. And Isaiah asked him, What have they seen? In your house. Men, if you're married, what has your wife seen in your house? If you have children, what have your children seen? Ladies, if you're married, what has your husband seen? What have the kids seen? What have neighbors seen? In your house, 
But most importantly, what has God seen in your house and mine? What has God seen in your marriage and in mine? The God who sees and knows all things, Acts 1 and verse 24 and 1 John 3 and verse 20. The very God that one day we will give an account of our speech and our actions and our thoughts to. Especially as it concerns the precious people He's put in our lives that He wanted us to help get home to Him. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. And what Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 do is sort of set the tone for our study of Ephesians chapters 5 and 6 this evening. Looking at priorities of God-centered homes. When you look at 15, 16, and 17, it speaks of redeeming the time. I know that there are a number in this very assembly who have recently married. There are some of us who have been married for many years. There are some who are single. Maybe very happy that way. There are others that are single but open to marriage, and that's a possibility. But look at redeeming the time. For years, people have said, it all goes by so fast. The older I get, the truer that is. Isn't it for you too? You talk about swiftly we're turning life's daily pages. Man, they're flying. It seems like only yesterday I married my wife Cherie, but it was 37 years ago. It seems only yesterday our son was born who is now in his 30s. seems only yesterday our daughter was born. And in a few months, she's now married and will be giving birth to her first child, Lord willing. Time flies. Redeem the time in thinking about having a God-centered home, a God-centered marriage. Understand what the will of the Lord is. He's the designer of marriage in the family. And certainly we need to examine ourselves, 2 Corinthians 13.5, and to give the more diligence to make our calling and election sure, 2 Peter 1 and verse 10, as it concerns our being God-centered in our most important relationships, our marriages and families. Let's begin by looking at Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. 
And as we look at Ephesians 5 and on through chapter 6, at least the biggest part of chapter 6, I'm going to focus with you on 10 priorities of God-centered families. Are you with me? 10 priorities of God-centered families. And no matter how difficult our families may be, God can fix what is broken and can do things we would have never thought possible. Amen? And no matter how good our marriages, our homes might be, God can make them better when people look to Him in love, in humility, in obedience. Now, Ephesians 5, 18-21. A God-centered family emphasizes the priority of spirituality. A God-centered family emphasizes the, the priority of spirituality. Well, what do you mean by that, Mike? I mean, quite simply, godliness. People in the relationship want to exercise themselves to godliness. 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. They pursue, they follow godliness. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 11. Godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 8. Godliness. Notice verse 18. Be not drunken with wine wherein is excess... Be filled with the Spirit. A God-centered family is a spiritual family. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Romans 8 and verse 6. In our marriage and in our family, there is the sincere desire to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. To speak, to act, and to think in a way that honors God, our treasure, our love. Verse 19. Andy, you'll like this one, brother. A God-centered home is a singing, praising home. Ephesians 5.19, about praising God in song. And as we look around and we see the person that we've committed our life to, perhaps in marriage, and we look around and we see children, maybe grandchildren, or for those who may not be married, they may be single again, perhaps. Maybe widowed. You look around and you've adopted all kinds of people who really are your family. There is plenty to praise God for. Verse 20, gratitude. A spiritually minded family and marriage exhibits gratitude. Be thankful. Colossians 3.15 Forget not all of His benefits. Psalm 103 and verse 2. Look at verse 21. Submission. 
It's obvious that there are many who seem to know verse 22 and how a wife should submit to her husband. But they've not thought very much about the submission that should be given to God. If everyone in a family properly submitted to God and as a result treated each other the way God wants them to be treated, it seems to me women would have little trouble loving a man who sought to love her as Christ loves the church. She could submit to that kind of man pretty easily. You look at 18 through 21, and they are about spirituality. Now look at verses 22 through 33. In Ephesians 5, 22 through 23, there is a second priority that will be seen in any home that makes God-centeredness a priority. Love. Love. In specific context, the love that exists in a marriage. A love that is supreme. A love that is sacrificing and satisfying. A love that's selfless. He gave himself up for the church. Husbands, it should make us think and contemplate the great Word of God whenever God is saying that I want you to so stress God-centeredness in your marriage that when people see your marriage, they'll see my Son! And they'll see His church and the love that exists. Wouldn't that be awesome? A faith that works through love, Galatians 5 and verse 6. In love, serve one another, Galatians 5 and verse 13. A love that suffers long and is kind, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. A love that bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. A home that shows Jesus. In word, in action, in thought. Now Ephesians 6. Notice this particular priority of God-centeredness. A God-centered family, a God-centered home, emphasizes the priority of obedience. Specifically, the context has reference to children. But children can obey parents in the Lord because parents are obeying the Lord according to His Word. There's a good connection there. Christ has become the author of eternal salvation to all that obey Him. Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9. Not every man that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 7, 21. Obedience. 
And sometimes there are people who are Christians, and, and, and I do this. And then I am ashamed at how small and how little my faith is. I may serve God and obey Him, but I do it with a lack of enthusiasm and joy. And I'm reminded of the psalmist speaking prophetically of Jesus. I delight to do Your will, O God. Psalm 40, verses 6-8. through who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, Hebrews 12 and verse 2. When Jesus gave the prayer of example, He said, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't believe the angels of glory, when God says something needs to be done, are going, okay. And are moaning and groaning about it. And we are blessed far more than the angels because we know Jesus and His salvation. Obedience. Keep looking at Ephesians 6 in these opening verses. It speaks of respect. Respect. If you're following along, we've looked at spirituality or godliness, love, obedience, respect. And the term is honor in the text. Honor your father and mother. There is a place for appropriate respect in a marriage and a family. Because there is great respect for God. When I was young, growing up, I remember hearing people use this expression. They would say, normally of an older gentleman or an older wise lady, what they say carries a lot of weight with me. Brett, you ever heard anything like that? What was meant by people is this individual, by virtue of their experience and wisdom and life, they are to be honored and respected. In Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, God asked the question, Where is my honor. Do we honor God by the way we respect one another in our homes? Yet again, this is number five, gentleness. Gentleness. You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Do you see it? Gentleness. Moses was meek and gentle 
Numbers 12 and verse 3. Our Savior and Lord Jesus, meek and gentle, Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 29. Neither one of those men were weak, but no one can deny their gentleness. Strong hand and a tender touch. Gentleness. It's interesting to think of God throughout Scripture, and sometimes He is depicted as a shepherd. Sometimes He is depicted as a father. Just some examples. He cares. Gentleness, and yet incredible strength. Is there a good blend of this? A God-honoring blend in our marriage and in our family. Number six. Maturity. Maturity. Bring them up, the passage says. Look at the verses there in Ephesians 6, verse 4. Bring them up. God-centered families make a priority out of maturity. That means that we need to grow up. Especially those of us that are adults. Physically, emotionally, socially, spiritually, Jesus grew up. Whole person development. Luke 2.52. And that should be a great commitment in a God-centered family too. Do I need to grow emotionally? Do I need to grow in maturity emotionally? Spiritually? We live in a world with tremendously talented individuals all around us. But people who have often not given enough thought to God-centeredness in the most important relationships of their lives. This is to look at ourselves, to think about maturity. Next, discipline. A God-centered family emphasizes the priority of discipline. The nurture and the admonition of the Lord. One young preacher said, Mike, are you going to tell anything about your family tonight? And I said, probably. My mother became a widow at a very young age, my dad, my biological father, died when I was four. I am an only child, and that may explain some things to some of you that have known me for a while. But my mother was very determined that this only child would not be spoiled in any way. 
She was a strong believer in the board of education, shall we say. She used a switch. Thank you for saying that. Because I praise God for it now. She thought it was funny. My mother also has a great sense of humor. She put the title of a well-known hymn above the switch that she had hanging nearby. I need thee every hour. I suspect that she did need it very frequently. He that spares the rod hates his child. He that loves his child chastens him, disciplines him as it's necessary. Proverbs 13, 24. Those that I love I reprove and chasten. Revelation 3.19, the Lord says that. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Hebrews 12.5-11. And I'm grateful for a mother that gave instructive discipline and corrective discipline and who even punished me as a disciplinary act. Because life is hard when there is no discipline. Rules without relationship will equal rebellion. But a relationship without rules equals chaos. And a single mother trying to raise a young son and work I'll forever be grateful for my mother who disciplined me. And not only did she discipline me with a switch, but she disciplined me with God's Word. And every night, no matter how tired she was, she would read to me Bible stories. Until the time came when I had memorized the Bible stories and I was only three or four. And I could quote them back to her. Discipline takes many forms in a family, doesn't it? And may God give us the wisdom to use just the right type of discipline to bring them up, to mature them. Discipline, maturity. Look at Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. Responsibility. A God-centered family home emphasizes the priority of responsibility. Work is not a four-letter word. Well, it is, but you know what I mean. It's not a dirty word. Work existed in the Garden of Eden before sin ever entered the world. There must be something good about work. Jesus wasn't allergic to work. I must work the works of Him who sent me while it's day. The night comes when no man can work. John 9 and verse 4. 
And when He was on the cross, one of the great statements there, from the lips of our Lord, John 19.30, it is finished. Teach those in the family to work, and to work heartily as unto the Lord, Ephesians 6, 5-9. Notice verses 10-17 through 17 of Ephesians 6. Leaving a legacy of strength in the Lord, of strength in the Lord, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, Ephesians 6.10, what follows the Christian armor. Are you helping your family every day know what to wear to the war? Are you? Am I? Strength in the Lord. The strength of His might. Our sufficiency is of God and not of ourselves. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 5. Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. John 15 and verse 4. Strengthen the Lord. I do not want my children, my grandchildren, though they are very talented, I don't want them to think that they have a chance in this world just solely based on their own talent and ability and brain cells. A lot more talented people than they have failed miserably because they were not strong in the Lord. Show me a marriage and a family that really wants to be strong in the Lord. And I want you to know that's a strong family. A strong marriage. But you see, a person can be as strong as Samson, as wise as Solomon, and genuinely be a good person like David, but all three of them failed because they didn't rely on God and His strength. And many of us know in our own families, similar type incidents. Eighteen through twenty, God-centered families emphasize the priority of prayer. Of prayer. You have the four alls of prayer, a quartet, if you will, of, about prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication and with all perseverance for all the saints. My mother eventually remarried. He had grown up in the church, he was a Christian. His father had been an elder in the church. But my stepfather, who was wonderful to me in many ways, became unfaithful when I was still quite young. He never wanted me to preach. And he never heard me preach a sermon 
in person. Even though now I have been preaching full time for about 40 years. I couldn't talk to him. He became unfaithful. I couldn't say anything. And he was six foot four and 250 pounds. He could kind of make his point. I don't want to talk about this. And I could get nowhere with him, although I was praying and trying. And you know, the years went by. Swiftly were turning the pages. He got older. We had kids. And one of the things that I noticed was my kids could say something to him. He loved and adored them. I could never have said and gotten away with. Isn't that true? Grandkids can say things, can't they? And when they were young, they would look at him and say, Grandpa Bud, can we have a prayer before a meal? And he let them. When they were young, they would ask him, Grandpa Bud, can we have a Bible story? Would you read? And he would say, no, 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 but but, but you can have a story. And they would ask him to come worship God with us. We're going to meet with God's people. Won't you come? And, And he would say no, and he would just kind of look away. And I could see that my kids were able to chip away at the hard heart of a man that I loved a great deal, but he was wrong with his relationship with God. Years went by, and my mother called me and said, he's really sick, can you come? They lived just outside of Memphis, Tennessee at that time. And I left from West Texas to go. And he was hooked up with all kinds of tubes. And I walked in his room and I held his hand. And I asked him, Dad, don't you think it's time now to make things right? Tears started to go down his cheeks. Tears were going down mine too. And yes, it was a late hour confession. And I think about the wasted years sometimes of a man that had tremendous gifts and could have done so much good in the kingdom and helped so many But I want you to know, I prefer not to think about that. I prefer to think about the prayers of my children for their grandpa that eventually melted his hard heart. Do not underestimate the value of prayer in transforming people's lives. So I guess I could say that I owe the salvation of my stepdad to my children. It may be there's somebody in your family that you've been working on. And maybe you're not going to be the person to get to them. But God might just raise up somebody in the family that will touch their heart and help them get home.
family ours for a while so as to be God's forever. I want a God-centered family, don't you? If there's someone here tonight that needs the prayers of brothers and sisters concerning their life and family, we would be humbled and honored to pray with you and for you. We want people to be able to help their families get home. And it may be there's somebody here that needs to become part of God's family through faith and repentance and baptism. There will be no better time to become a Christian than right now. God's family. If we can help you, won't you come as we stand and sing?